Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. Well, we are beginning a new sermon series, and I'll take just a moment to kind of lay that out for you and some of the things we'll be doing. We're calling it Believe, Think, Act, Be Like Jesus, and we're making available to you this book, Believe, by Randy Frazee. It's got 30 chapters, three segments of 10 chapters each for $5.00. You can either purchase a copy, or if we're already sold out, just let us know, leave the money, we'll get it for you this week. It'll organize our sermons. Each week, you'll have a chapter that'll let you ask questions, focus, and read through the Scripture. That's our goal with this. And it'll be organized in three ways. The first is think. We will begin our journey in the 10 key beliefs of thinking like Jesus. The goal is to renew our mind by letting the Holy Spirit prune unbelief from our hearts and then plant key truths found throughout the pages of the Bible. So each week in the chapter for the week, you'll read passages all through the Scripture. Once we deal with think, what do I believe? Then the question is act. And by act, what are things we can do to cultivate that belief? Spiritual disciplines key behaviors that build a heart for God and for his kingdom. And that will lead us to the third segment, B, uh, who am I becoming? We want to look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So from belief to acting, how do we cultivate that and support it? And then being, what is the fruit that God will work in us? Each week in the book, there's three key things that kind of guide you through the reading. The first would be this, a key question. What life question does this belief answer? All right? As we think about next week, chapter one is about God. And we'll think about what the scripture teaches us about God, what God says about himself in the scripture. And so we'll ask ourselves, what is it that we believe about God? What is it that we don't believe about God? There'll be a key idea. What's the unifying concept of this belief? And we'll keep this grounded in the historic belief of the church. You know, there's a tremendous amount of variety in the church across history. Big umbrella from Greek Orthodox to Roman Catholic to Protestant, to all the various cultures and expressions. But if you look at those, you begin to see a core common across them all. That's where we'll stay. Finally, a key application. What difference does this idea make for the way I live? As we have a deeper and better understanding of God, for instance, from next week, you can go through the week recognizing what is God and what's not. See, there comes that pruning and that discernment. So we'll do those things. It's based in this book. Um, a chapter a week, you'll get grounded in the Scripture, and particularly as the Scripture teaches on key uh, things of our faith and all which that means. 
So this morning, I want to look at a particular scripture and enable us to kind of start this whole series with this in mind. Believe, think, act, and be like Jesus. And I want to do this by looking at a particular relationship in the Bible, the relationship of Paul the Apostle and Timothy, his colleague, his co-worker. Think of Paul as a mentor. Uh, that would make Timothy something of a mentee. And I want to look at this passage in 2 Timothy. We know this book is written by Paul, and it's written as a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. It's probably, as best we're able to discern, written during Paul's second time in prison. You know that among the believing church in history, we've spent a lot of time in jail. That's part of our inheritance as believers. Not always are we in charge. Very interesting. So Paul is writing the second time in jail. He's imprisoned under Nero and will soon be martyred. We believe it's written about 64, 65. That would be 30 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's about the same dis distance historically between now and Ronald Reagan as president. That's an easy memory and time to keep in mind. So, I want to read these verses. I'll ask you out of respect to stand for the reading of God's Word. Set your heart and mind to receive these words from Paul to Timothy to us. Paul writes this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit that God gives us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us, and he has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the peering of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know whom, circle that word, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated if you would please. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you that in the course of this relationship, Paul, a Pharisee rescued from his own Phariseeism, that he might live in your grace and then in your grace share that message of grace with this young man, Timothy, he worked alongside. Thank you that as he wrote to Timothy at the, towards the end of his life, we have these words carefully recorded 
and then with your superintending care preserved across centuries now so that we might open them and read and ask that in your grace you speak to us right here on Lakewood Boulevard in Holland together. Guard your people from my own brokenness, but may Jesus be seen and the gospel heard. For we pray in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, the word from the Apostle Paul to Timothy is a word about disciple-making and how to pass on the faith across the generations. And as missionaries, they're passing on the faith across cultures. You can see the relationship between Paul and Timothy start in Acts 16. That gives us the background of how they got together and got to know one another. And we see throughout Acts that their relationship would be foundational to all that God would later do across the centuries of the world Christian movement. Timothy would join Paul's missionary work. Timothy would then be pastor in one of the churches that Paul had planted. They would be faithful friends and fellow servants of Jesus across the years. But now, in this moment, at this letter, Paul is close to death, and everyone knows it. It will soon be time for Timothy to press forward in ministry without his mentor, Paul. But Timothy will never be alone as he does that. There's the good news in the midst of this honest sadness. Timothy will never be alone as he does this. Paul may finish his race and hand off the baton to Timothy, but Timothy will not face the future by himself because the way Paul has trained him. Paul had discipled Timothy. He had taken Timothy from a young man and he had done more than educate him. He had done more than train him in behaviors. He'd engaged his heart he had disciplined it, that's the root word for disciple, and in that he had shaped his life. The personal relationship that Paul had with Timothy was the means of introducing Timothy to another personal relationship, namely the relationship that Timothy would have and carry with him, the relationship with Jesus through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to tell you, I have a deep sense that part of the challenge of our moment is that we've been confused about this issue of disciple-making. We miss the picture of disciple-making. Ask yourself this question. How are disciples of Jesus made? How have we done it? If we were to have an influx of people coming to faith in Jesus, how would we obey the command of Jesus that they be made disciples of Jesus. How does that work? It was, after all, a command. He said, go and make disciples from all the nations. Don't just wait for them to arrive, but go. We get confused by having false patterns of disciple-making. You see, it's easy to think of disciple-making in terms of what I want to call Christendom. The church controls the culture. The church drives government, education, business to make sure all of it is operating just as it should. In a Christendom model, the key to living the Christian faith is conformity to the surroundings. I may not know God, 
but I know I shouldn't play baseball on Sunday afternoons, so I'll conform. You ever heard a story like that? Christendom is about conformity, and so being faithful becomes about controlling the community to make it reinforce and do what we think God wants done to us and for us. That's the Christendom model. By the way, no secret, I think that has left the barn and is no longer functional. I don't even think God ever meant to use it, but that's another story. The other is the content approach, that there is a content to the faith, and we see Paul use language like this in this passage, the good deposit, the true pattern. There is content. But if we think of disciple-making as delivering the content, then it's all about disciples must master the material. I want to tell you something. I've been in ministry long enough. I've gotten enough degrees from enough different schools and seminaries to know there are plenty of folks who can master the material but have yet to be mastered by the master. And there's a difference. You see, if it's about master the material, then we'll be busy building schools and seminaries. And we'll have to focus on the practice of not only educating, but also insulating. Not only here's the answers, this is what you should master, but also let's avoid asking too many questions because that may not be in the book. You see the problem? Paul wasn't going to send Timothy out with only a book to look up answers. He had something more and something better. See, disciple-making, and we see it in this relationship with Paul and Timothy, is about connecting with a person. It's built on a personal relationship. Here in this text, it's about Paul and Timothy. But there's more to the personalness because the personal relationship between Paul and Timothy was a means by which Timothy could be introduced and have a personal relationship with a personal God himself. Paul wanted Timothy to do more than just conform. He wanted him to know whom he believed. Paul wanted Timothy to do more than just master the content. He wanted Timothy to know what the content pointed to, the person. It begins with a relationship, and a relationship with another human being. You know, I'm thankful. I did everything the church that I went to for the first 16 years of my life, I did everything they ever asked me to do. And when my life blew up as a high school student, I had no idea what to do. Doing the same thing wasn't working. Doing what I knew to do couldn't help me face the challenge of a blown-up 16-year-old life at that point, a serious football injury. But in the midst of that, somebody shared the gospel with me of God's grace in a way that I could respond to. And I'll be forever thankful for a man by the name of Paul Davis, who was sent as something of a missionary, a youth worker with Youth for Christ to my high school. And while we were in Charlotte in May, we drove past Olympic High School and could see the parking lot where I sat in Paul's red Plymouth Barracuda and prayed 
Jesus, I've made a mess of my life. If you want it, it's yours. The next however many years it's been, the math is beyond me. It's been figuring out what God did in that moment. And Paul was a person that introduced me to a personal relationship. I'll be forever thankful to men like Dr. Francho Shields who took a young aspiring rock and roll guitar player and said, don't worry about your shoes or hair, just open your Bible. And you see, because even in the midst of the Jesus revolution, North Carolina style, I was being discipled in the scripture and who is God? How do I love him? I'll be forever thankful to campus workers like Tom Newton at Davidson College with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship who would teach and process life with us. We would do small group ministry in our campus and then sit down and unpack that. What does that mean? How did this work? What's going on? You see, we had a personal relationship with Tom. And he helped introduce us to a deeper personal relationship with the living God. Mary Lynn and I have talked before about Bill and Mary Lou Brown. They opened their home to us in New Orleans. And as a seminary student, newly married, we got to see in the dynamics of everyday life what it meant to live out the Scripture. I tell the joke on myself. I remember praying with Bill one night, late into the night, and thinking, ah, I'm learning to pray with a master. Bill has a tremendous prayer life shaping me so wonderful. And I remember then going off to bed and thinking, oh, I'm learning to pray. And I got up early the next morning, inspired to pray. And you know what I found? Bill Brown still praying. And suddenly I realized, oh, I have grown in prayer from here to here. But through a personal relationship with a man he introduced me to a deeper relationship with the living God. So the personal relationship of discipling will always entail a relationship with a person. Books are helpful. I've read more than you could ever imagine. Classes are helpful. Behavior training can be helpful. But it takes a person to help you navigate personally to the depths of your heart. And that person needs to be about not making a copy of themselves, but helping you be shaped and formed with a personal relationship with Jesus himself. Friends, what we meet in the Bible is God the person. Now, not a human person, a spiritual person. We're going to learn about that. It's different. But what discipling and Christian development should lead us to is a relationship with God the person. This God of the Bible is a person who is, first of all, distinct from you and me. I want to say it clearly. God is not a projection of my own desires, the traditions of men, or our own needs. The God of the Bible is distinctly who he is. And the question becomes, will you conform your life to him? Because anytime you try to conform him to your traditions or needs or wants or desires or understanding, you're going to have something other than the God of the Bible. In a brilliant 1943 book called The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis, he wrote this during World War II. Fascinating. 
He writes that in ancient times, people saw the cardinal problem of human life to be how to conform the soul, who we are as individuals, the self, how to conform that to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But, and he identifies this in 1943, for the modern person, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of the self. And the solution is human technology. Oh, I feel I'm this. Let's correct that with surgery or medication. I can define who I am, not by objective reality, but by human technology. God is outside. He is objective reality that will reshape us and who we are, what we love, and how we live. He will forever be the creator, and we are the creature or the created. There's an infinite distinction between the creator and the creature or the created. It's kind of like this, the difference between a coach and a player. They're distinct. God is God. We are who we are. He is creator. We are creature. He, in a weak metaphor, is coach. We are player. He's distinct from us. He's also a person who is active and purposeful apart from me. That is to say, he's doing what he wants in history. Now, I pray. My prayers interact with God. He shapes me. I become part of his work. But I need to remember that it is God who is at work in history. He is the one bringing history to a close. I prayed this morning about our hope in the world yet to come, where every teardrop will be wiped away. The old order of things will be gone. The new will have come. We'll get there, not because of our behavior, but because of God's good plan. Will we join it? That's the question. He is the one at work. He is the one present in advancing his kingdom on earth. And again, you could hear it in the text this morning from Paul. He picks up a theme about God shaping us. You know, Jesus pointed to this very aspect that God is active and purposeful apart from my wishes and desires. Jesus said just before his crucifixion, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off. He prunes every branch in me that bears no fruit and every branch that does fruit, bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Have you ever prayed for God to prune your life that you might be more fruitful? Jesus calls us to pray that way, but that means we're praying to a God who's active and powerful, acting in his own purposeful beyond us. It should go without saying that the God of the Bible is conceptually beyond you or me, that I run into truths about God that are bigger than I can handle, it's no problem. You know, I use electric light switches in my house. We're pretty modern. I can turn the light on and off. I couldn't tell you the physics and the chemistry and all of that behind electricity, but I use the light switch. In the same way, I don't understand everything, every truth about God, but I have a relationship with him. God is conceptually beyond you or me. There is truth and there is untruth about God. There are things you can say about God that are not true. 
There are things we can say about God that are true. And the scripture points to this. There is a defined pattern. There is a faith once and for all handed down. It's ours to receive and to stake our life on it. It's not ours to modify or edit or make comfortable. Because finally, this uh, Bible, oh, here's a good statement. I do want to make this clear. Because God is who he is, I can grasp what percentage of truth about God. I'm not sure what that number is that goes in that blank, but I can tell you two numbers it's not. It's not 0%. Because you see, I am created in the image of God. There is a stamp, even in my brokenness, yet reflective of him. But I also know that the number that won't go in there is 100%. God is bigger. Now, hopefully you'd look at my life and say, boy, what a saint Bill is. He's moved from a 5% grasp of God to an 8%. So we want to be raising that number but God is just bigger. The good news is he can be trusted. And that's what Paul is doing here and in this thing. I want to close this morning by giving you three questions to consider. This is what we'll be doing in the weeks to come. What is it that you believe? You know, the world is catechizing you day by day, week by week. The world will teach you that, oh, the only way to be happy is... Well, do you really believe the world, or could it be that God is offering something different? The next thing we ought to ask always is this, is it true? You know, I'm not pursuing a Christian faith that makes sense to me. I'm pursuing the truth about God and letting it shape me. Sometimes the truth about God is uncomfortable for me. I want to let God prune me after his good purposes. See, at the end of the day, the question is this, in whom do I believe? It's interesting to me that Paul did not say, for I know what I believe. Any good seminary graduate could tell you that. What Paul said, I know whom I believe. Paul had met the risen Christ. So Paul, in his relationship with Timothy made sure that Timothy not only knew Paul, but that Timothy would know the risen Christ. Do you? Do I? When we engage with another person in relationship, are we helping them not simply get to know their own thoughts better, or not simply shaping them after my thoughts, but helping them meet and hear and be shaped by the living Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit? In whom do you believe? Friends, I want to suggest to you that this is how we've been fulfilling the Great Commission for centuries. This is how the gospel moves across cultures, moves across time. It's in disciple-making where a personal relationship becomes the means by which another person grows and is introduced to a personal relationship with the living God. You know, I have a deep love for Martin Luther. When he's good, he's really, really good. When he's bad, eh, turn the page. Luther was kind of the spark plug of the Reformation beginning in 1517. As that movement began to flourish and have increasing impact in the region of Germany, Luther took under his wing a new professor at the seminary where he taught, a man by the name of Philip Melanchthon. They worked together. 
They prayed together, they studied, they ate meals, their families would share time. God used the personal relationship that Melanchthon had with Luther to draw Melanchthon closer and deeper into relationship with himself, with God himself. As he got to know Luther, Melanchthon got to know God even better. Melanchthon would eventually marry, have children. He would continue to work and advance the Reformation. But to make ends meet, his wife would rent rooms and meals in their household to students. Common sort of thing. Mary Lynn and I have done it. You make ends meet. One student would study at the university where Melanchthon and Luther taught, but also live with the Melanchthon family for seven years. Share life with them. See them. Not only read the book, but watch it impact on the life. The man I'm talking about is named Zacharias Ursinus. We recognize him as the chief author of the Heidelberg Catechism. Because of the life that he knew in Melanchthon, he had come to know God. And that was the expression in the Heidelberg Catechism. Caspar Olivanus, a colleague of Ursinus and considered a collaborator on the Heidelberg Catechism, he lived while a student in Geneva with the family of John Calvin. Do you see the pattern? Paul and Timothy. Luther, Melanchthon, Ursinus, Calvin, Olvanus. Through ongoing personal relationships with people of biblical faith, they introduce one another and the next generation to a personal relationship with their Lord and Savior. Friends, to be formed by Jesus is not simply about what you do or what you know. It's never less than those two things, but it's always something more than those two things. It's about whom you know. A personal relationship with another person then introduces you and guides you to a personal relationship with the living God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are more than a force or an entity beyond comprehension, but that in a way that stretches our ability to conceive. You are a person who would lay aside the glory of your son that he might take on human form, give his life for us, and call us deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great king. We thank you for that great love. I'm going to ask you to take just a moment and give thanks to God. If there are people in your life who through a personal relationship with them, they helped build a personal relationship for you with God, take a moment and just remember them with thanks. Not nearly so much for who or what they are, but for who and what they pointed to. Now, Father, I pray for these upcoming weeks and for this moment that we might step forward to enter into all that you have for us. More than just a, a kind of conformity, more than just a mastering the content, but that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we might be called friend of God, adopted child, object of your affection, apple of your eye. Thank you that beyond our understanding, is a creator God who would love us. Fill us with that great hope 
deepen our roots, bear fruit, and guide us. For we pray in Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.